Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, Today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the Casablanca Conference in January 1943. Now those of you who are studying uh, GCSE or A-level history, probably looking at um, America, Britain or the Cold War, will be um, aware that throughout the Second World War there were a series of conferences um, between the Allied powers to decide uh, a number of things. Later conferences are really about deciding the shape of the post-war world by 1943, the future course of the conflict was still uh, very uncertain. There were a number of uh, debates between particularly the Americans and the British as to how best to proceed against Nazi Germany. And of course, the Soviet Union, who had been invaded by uh, the Germans uh, in uh, 1941, were anxious for something to be done to alleviate their plight. This podcast is really about discussing um, how the Casablanca Conference fits into all of that, what happened at the conference, and how that really influences the outcome of the war. So, for example, if you've got an essay which looks at some of the wartime conferences, you might want to be drawing out ideas about significance and importance. And so this, this podcast is designed to help with that, really. The choice of uh, venue for uh, an Allied meeting of this magnitude was uh, far from coincidental. Casablanca in Morocco in North Africa was uh, an ideal spot. The fortunes of the Allied powers in Africa had changed at the end of 1942 and the beginning of 1943. The victory in the desert uh, far to the east in um, Egypt uh, over the Germans at El Alamein had been the first great breakthrough of the war by the British. Churchill said that they had never won before El Alamein and uh, after El Alamein, Britain never lost. It was a hugely significant moment as it prevented the Germans from reaching the Suez Canal and effectively cutting the British Empire in two and then marching on to uh, access the oil wells of the Middle East. So there was... Um, in comparison to Stalingrad, it's a relatively small battle, but it was an enormously important one for the British to win, in no small part because of the British need uh, to uh, demonstrate to the public it had the capacity for victory. North Africa, of course, uh, was another um, important strategic theatre 
uh, for the Allies, as it was where the Americans first really uh, see action in the uh, the European um, and Middle Eastern theatre. The Americans, along with the British, had landed in Morocco and Algeria after all manner of fraught negotiations with the uh, Free and Vichy French forces in the area um, to uh, in the torch landings of November 1942, which were the first uh, major amphibious landings by the Allies of the war, and would be followed, obviously, later on by landings in Italy, and then later on Normandy, where they had, to some extent, perfected the process. At this point, um, the Americans um, occupied a, a position which is, I guess, quite unusual, quite alien to people who have um, grown up looking at the war through um, war movies like Saving Private Ryan and that sort of thing. At this point in time, the Americans viewed themselves and were viewed by the British as well, who had a very superior attitude towards um, towards the uh, American Chiefs of Staff, as the junior partners in the relationship. And this wasn't to last for very long at all. Churchill was well aware that in terms of man- manpower, material and equipment, it was he that was the junior power. He viewed himself as Roosevelt's lieutenant. The uh, British uh, Chiefs of General Staff um, believed that the Americans were less experienced in fighting, and the Americans looked upon the British as um, having been blooded by the war and knowing what was required in major battles against the Germans, and were, up until the Italian campaign, uh, willing to uh, bow to the senior experience um, of the British generals. But as I said, this uh, this, this deference was uh, from many um, uh, grudging, particularly in Washington from uh, Admiral King, very grudging indeed. Um, and it was based really on the fact that uh, the Americans had yet to encounter in battle the Germans. And when they do, at the Kasserine Pass in Tunisia in February 1943, the results are catastrophic. Inexperienced uh, American officers uh, panic. They are completely outclassed by Rommel, um, and the the defeat turns into a rout. Uh, Rommel uh, believed that he was going to uh, deliver a, a, a salutary lesson to the Americans in what they would face if they chose to carry on fighting uh, the Wehrmacht. Um, and the uh, result of this really was to um, inf- um, strengthen American resolve and to really uh, inform um, the American uh, command of the challenges of defeating Germans. The Casablanca Conference would become a testing ground for the Anglo-American relationship. Already two different visions of the war were, and its future had developed in the minds of both the uh, Chiefs of General Staff on, in either country and uh, President Roosevelt and Winston Churchill. Roosevelt, perhaps uh, rashly, uh, had already in 1942 strongly uh, hinted to Stalin that a cross-channel invasion uh, would be be possible of France in 1943. 
the British thought this was hopelessly optimistic and that the uh, Allied powers wouldn't be ready to at least 1944 to engage in such an act. Uh, Stalin, who was fighting the uh, bulk of the German army on the Eastern Front, was insistent that some kind of second front in Europe must happen in 1943. His uh, idea of a second front really was a second front in France, and uh, when eventually a second front develops in Italy, Stalin dismisses it as a sideshow. The uh, implied threat from Stalin is that he might try to find some kind of accommodation with Hitler, um, leaving the Germans to once again put all their energies into the West. This meant that at Casablanca, the Americans uh, were lobbying for a, a massed attack against the Germans, a cross-channel invasion of Normandy. The British were far more keen on fighting at the periphery, as they had done uh, in the last couple of hundred years when faced with a hegemonic continental power, fighting in places such as uh, North Africa, in Italy, perhaps even in Greece, and wearing the enemy down from the edges of their empire, perhaps engaging them in major naval actions where the British were going to be superior, and then eventually waiting for this, the fortunes of war to slide in the favour of the coalition, and then using the major players now, the Soviet Union and the USA, to finally launch the, the end game. And this, this is ultimately what happens. The, uh, the war that emerges is very much a British war. Uh, the uh, war that the Americans wanted to happen was a, a cross-channel invasion in 1943 and a head-on clash with the Wehrmacht involving in probably uh, casualties far, far higher than that which we actually see at D-Day. Casablanca is the last conference where the British opinion prevails. The British, uh, under the uh, direction of Churchill, uh, argue uh, against the cross-channel invasion, which probably was wise. The uh, view of uh, Sir Alan Brooke and uh, Harold Alexander and other leading British generals is that the invasion would be absolute suicide, uh, would be destined to fail, uh, and the cost of winning would be catastrophically high. Churchill looks upon Italy, really, he calls it the soft underbelly of the uh, Nazi empire. The, it turns out, in effect, when the actual landings take place in Sicily and then later on in Salerno, that the Italian campaign wasn't going to be easy, wasn't going to be straightforward, would actually be a, a long and arduous experience for the Allies the battles of Monte Cassino and the siege at Anzio are all examples of how protracted and bloody the Germans uh, are able to make the Italian Peninsula campaign. Roosevelt, however, relents and allows the Churchill position to prevail, partly because he's more interested in this period of time at what's happening in Southeast Asia believes the British aren't really putting their all into uh, fighting the Japanese, and Britain's efforts in Burma with the, the 14th Army, the so-called Forgotten Army, um, are fairly uh, unspectacular in 1942 and 1943. 
Um, and certainly in 1942, um, most of what happens are re retreats and strategic failures. And there are some attempts in 1943, such as the Arakan campaigns, to reverse that, but they're not especially successful enterprises. So Churchill, uh, for his part, agrees to uh, more effort in Burma, more men, more equipment, more munitions. And really that helps to prop up Chiang Kai-shek's position in China. The, um, so the next phase of the war uh, is uh, up for discussion. And the um, issue that comes to the surface, much to the surprise of Churchill, uh, is the doctrine of unconditional surrender. This is something that had not previously been agreed on by Churchill and Roosevelt, but Roosevelt makes a statement on it anyway, uh, to which he says, In our uncompromising policy, we mean no harm to the common people of the Axis nations, but we do mean to impose punishment and retribution upon their guilty, barbaric leaders. Now, these kinds of statements and sentiments really do inform the likes of um, Himmler and Goering and the other main perpetrators of the Holocaust, they know after Casablanca that not only will there be no negotiating, but also that there will be post-war um, proceedings. There will be some kind of judicial process at the end of the war uh, because um, of their, the knowledge that is filtering out across the rest of the world uh, of the uh, the crimes that are being committed in the East. It's only later in 1943 that concrete evidence is transmitted to uh, America and Britain of the actual final solution. But there is uh, widespread knowledge that uh, if gassings aren't taking place, which obviously they were, um, that, uh, that there is some kind of uh, processed mass killing in in uh, the eastern part of the, the Nazi empire. Churchill had misgivings about this um, approach. He felt obliged to go along with it, uh, as I mentioned earlier, seeing himself as his lieutenant figure. He uh, believed that it left the Allies with less room for manoeuvre, but that um, he had to be seen to, to support it at all costs. His chief interest was to keep the Soviet Union in the war. He knew that the, the Red Army, in essence, was the key to winning the war, and that any negotiated peace between Stalin and Hitler would be a catastrophe for Western Europe and for Britain and America. The other uh, consideration that Churchill had was that the Soviet Union, once they overcame the Wehrmacht, would march eastward inexorably, and where the, the advance of the Soviet Union ended was a, a, a key issue. Winston Churchill was quite prescient in his um, understanding of Stalin's interests in um, Eastern Europe, though later on at other conferences he makes some sort of quite amateurish mistakes with Stalin. That's a, a different story. His... Um, Suspicion was that the uh, Red Army, where it stopped, would stay. And so uh, an invasion further to the east, uh, such as in Italy, for example, would prevent the, um, the Red Army from advancing farther west. Stalin was keen for an, invasion, for an Allied invasion 
to happen in France because it would draw away uh, German forces, but it wouldn't place the Allies deep in the heart of Central Europe. Uh, the uh, victorious Allied army marching northwards from Italy could quite easily find itself in Austria and from there into the heart of Central Europe, the, uh, which would obviously later become the buffer zone for um, the, the Soviet Union. Keeping the Allies away from here was, was key, and Stalin was no fool. He could see what Churchill um, was thinking uh, at Casablanca. Stalin himself can't attend Casablanca. He uh, believed that he was uh, better uh, suited to staying in Russia and focusing on the, the, the German threat. Though that said, that when he does organise conferences at Tehran and at Yalta, Stalin likes to have things on his own terms and prefers to meet Roosevelt and Churchill, essentially on his turf. The next two major conferences of 1943 at Cairo and Tehran see a gradual diminution of uh, British influence and power. The uh, Casablanca conference really is the uh, high point of British influence during the war and never again do the British re regain that level of, of importance uh, in, in the uh, superpower stakes. Um, by the Yalta conference, the big three has been re reduced in Churchill's eyes to the big two and a half. The Italian campaign uh, proceeds from the decisions taken at Casablanca. So this is one of the, the main outcomes of Casablanca, its significance, if you will. The decision to go for the soft underbelly, which turns out to be anything but. And following that, the um, main secondary outcome of the uh, Casablanca conference is that of the decision for unconditional surrender and the resolve that that really brings to the Nazis, even if they had been considering otherwise, to fight on to the end. Anyway, I hope you found that useful, and you can find more information at www.explaininghistory.com. Uh, we've got some interesting titles out at the moment. We've got uh, Julia Routledge's hit biography of George Orwell. If you haven't downloaded that already, it's well worth a read. And there is Chris Kostov's The Communist Century. Again, uh, you can find all these at explaininghistory.com or follow the links below. And we're going to be doing some uh, latest, more stuff in the next few days on the Second World War conferences. So if this is a key area for you, uh, feel free to write in. And uh, it's great to get feedback um, from people out there and from listeners, students, and enthusiasts. So you can get me at info at explaininghistory.com. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.